go on in and get into commitment today, okay? Uh, <laughs> uh, let's ask the Lord's guidance as we go wherever he chooses to lead us. Uh, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time, and I thank you for the fellowship of the believers here in this small body of Christ. Uh, thank you for the gift of community. Uh, what it means to us, you know more than we do. But help us to honor that gift uh, as uh, members of the body that you are. Uh, I ask that you take this time this morning and uh, lead it, um, bless it, apply it to where we are. And um, to what the needs of our, our deepest places are this day. I pray this in the name of Christ our Lord and I pray it for the sake of his kingdom within each of us. Amen. Uh, the only thing I know that I'm doing this morning is uh, I know the scripture I'm going to start with and that we are uh, looking at the revolutionizing Christ in terms of forgiveness. That's all I know. So what the Holy Spirit does from, from here is going to be an adventure. <laughs> so, but I do want us to start with Matthew um, 18. And um, the scripture is, uh, it begins in Matthew 21. And what we see here is uh, Peter, the now apostle, not just disciple, who is... Uh, He is, he's got some things on his mind, and I, I think the things that he has on his mind are coming out of what Christ has just said. Uh, back up a few verses to 15, where Christ is talking about if your brother sin against you, if he trespasses against you, go and tell him his fault. And then you know the story. If he doesn't hear you, uh, go back and, and get a witness and, and, and uh, come again. And if he still neglects to hear you in verse 17, uh, take it to the church. Uh, if he uh, neglects to hear the church, let him be unto you as a heathen man and a publican. Now that's a kind of a strange thing. It, it almost feels to us condemnatory. But I think what he's saying, in the context of the Jewish culture at that time, um, they were to have no dealings with the heathen and the publicans. Uh, and, and that is because the history of Israel is that the heathen and the publicans always wore off on, on, on Israel. Uh, Israel never changed them, they changed Israel. Yes, sort of like today. We go to Washington to change Washington, and Washington changes us. So our culture changes us today, and it changed them then. And so the idea was, let it go. Don't, another verse in Luke 10 where he says, he sends his disciples out two by two, and he tells them, you know, go throughout the countryside, and, and if a city or a household uh, receives you, uh, enter in. If the city or community does not receive you, shake them off like dust. The idea here is to not let external forces 
cling to us and weigh us down and, and put a bushel basket, in a sense, over our light. Don't let what's happening out here in the world affect your spirit. Let it go. Separate yourself from uh, the one who has sinned against you, but they're not asking for forgiveness. How many times do we, do we say, well, I can't forgive him if he or she won't uh, ad- acknowledge their fault and won't uh, come and ask for forgiveness? Sometimes we get kind of locked in there. But what this implies is that we are not to wait upon some other external force or person to determine the condition of our spirit, to determine what God does within us, that, that we are to be separate from that. And if a person will not hear you, will not reconcile with you, will not understand uh, the problems or the issues that you may be having with them, legitimate though they may be, because he says here, if they've trespassed against you. So it's a, legitimate, it's a legitimate concern that you're approaching them with. But if they won't hear, then let it go. Separate yourself from that. Don't let it cling to you like dust and, and weigh you down. So Jesus is it's talking here um, in the, the, the context of relationships and in the context of those turbulent relationships that are not quite right. And, and you can't make right. No matter what you do, you can't make it right. There's a limit to what we can do to try to make it right that is, that is productive and, and, and constructive. And then there is a, a place beyond that where it makes things worse trying to make it right. And I think we've all experienced those in our own life. And then if they won't make it right, then it makes us mad. So he goes on down here, and I, I'll just pull this in. The very next thing Christ says in verse 18 is, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So he has said this. This sounds familiar to us. Well, it was stated by Christ to Peter two chapters over in chapter 16, verse 19. Now, in chapter 18, verse 18, he's saying the same thing to his disciples, but he's saying it in the context of relationship. So the implication here is, is that forgiveness and what we do with it, injustices and what we do with them, determines whether or not we bind things up, not only between us, but within ourselves, whether we ourselves get bound up and tied in a knot, or whether we loose and set free. And the implication here is that the loosing is initiated by forgiveness, by letting things go. Because then, uh, Peter comes in, and in verse 19 and 20, he's talking about two or three gathered in my name. But it's like Peter's still got this going in his head. He's still, you know, trying to figure out this, this uh, conflicted relationship scenario that Christ was speaking of. 
And so Peter came to him in verse 21 and said, Well, Lord, how often shall uh, my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. I mean, what is the limit of this repeated pattern here? These repeated behaviors. Shall I forgive him seven times? Now, I think Peter was really uh, taking himself out on a limb there. I think he thought seven times was really pretty magnanimous of him. <laughs> so we see flavorings here of the culture. We see flavorings here of human nature. I mean, Peter was feeling pretty good about offering the idea of forgiving him seven times. If he does this same thing seven times, seven times over, do I, do I go that far? I mean, that was grace extended, I think, in Peter's mind. And I think it, it would have been in anyone's mind because the idea that the Jewish culture was under was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So if he sins against me, you know, I'm going to sin against him. If he, if he hits me, I'm going to hit back. If he yells at me, I'm going to yell back louder. I mean, that was sort of the Jewish culture, uh, not to mention what we might see in the Greek and Roman culture. My goodness. I mean, if the, <laughs> if the Jewish culture would leave a sightless, toothless world with an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, then what on earth would the pagan heathen culture do? They certainly weren't up to that standard. And so uh, Peter was extending the known standard of his time and of his culture seven times. So I, he was really, I think, feeling pretty expansive about himself at that point. And here is the revolutionary coming in. And, and, and blowing Peter out of the water. Blowing the traditional Jewish understanding of the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth completely uh, out, of, out into orbit. He was upending the known world with this view. Jesus said unto him in verse 22, <clears throat> I say not unto you until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Somewhere in there you lose count of how many times somebody has offended you. And then he uses the parable, which I'm not going to go into, um, of uh, servants that uh, owed and were owed and their response um, to the Lord of the manor who forgave both the, the great uh, debt and the small debt. Uh, equally. So he really hits that hard. And, and he, he makes strategic the role of forgiveness in the kingdom of heaven. He is juxtapositioning the kingdom of heaven against the kingdom of darkness. And forgiveness was an absolute key instrument. In fact, uh, if you turn back uh, to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, verse 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
Verse 14, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses or sins, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. This goes to the binding and loosing. If I bind up here by not forgiving, I also bind God's power in heaven. Now, part of what I think that means is not that this is the unpardonable sin, but I think it means that if we continue in unforgiveness, I mean, I'm not talking about the initial issues that we wrestle with and we have to wrestle through them. Uh, I think what he's talking about here is a willful decision not to forgive and to hold that over someone. It's not the normal working through process in, in the grief process uh, or in dealing with your emotions and working with them. That's humanity, and, and we have to do that. But I think what he's talking about here is a willful decision. I am absolutely not going to forgive this person. And, and it's long after the raw tissue has healed or scabbed over. Uh, it will not have healed if I don't forgive. It just scabs over and scars over. But if I am refusing to forgive, willfully defiant of forgiveness, then I, I am engaged in that which is sinful. I am not repenting of my own stuff. And so if I'm not repenting, God cannot forgive me of what I'm not repenting of. You see, it's ongoing sin that I'm willfully engaged in. I think that's what that means. But regardless of exactly what it means, it means that we bind things up spiritually. We bind ourselves up. And we bind God's power in heaven to move and flow. And I think this is part of the bushel basket he speaks of in, I think it's Matthew 5, um, where let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. Don't put a, a bushel over it. Don't put a basket over it. Well, what does, what does a basket look like? Let's see if I can find that. Yeah. Uh, verse, uh, chapter 5, verses uh, 14. <coughs> And 15 and 16, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You and I, as... Uh, followers of Christ are designed to be light. We're designed to be something unique in the world. And, you know, the example that I gave last Sunday in my own life, where I thought I had righteous anger, which it started out as that, but it, it righteous anger doesn't last very long. Uh, it may still be anger, but it will not still be righteous. And uh, what that did, and I, I had mentioned that I had, I, I came to a point where I realized I had lost my, my suppleness with the Lord, that it was dulled. 
And my responsiveness to him was not the way it had always been. That was because I had reached my limit of seven times. I was Peterette. <laughs> I've forgiven seven times, that's my limit. I'm not gonna do it anymore. I didn't say that, but something in me said that and, and locked the brakes and started skidding sideways. But what that did is it did put a veil over my light. And it was by God's grace that people didn't notice it in my teaching. And, and maybe there were some people who did notice it. But that lack of being current, of putting the limit of seven times instead of going into the seven times 70, because you remember I said it just kept repeating itself. It kept repeating itself. And that was my justification for being angry about it and, and, and the hurtfulness that it brought to my family. Uh, but it dulled me. Uh, I, I may have had a light, but there was a veil over it. And so when Christ bids you and me follow him, he, he summons us into a life of transparency so that we decrease and he increases in us. And, and the one sure thing that is sure to block the light is unforgiveness. It just will. And you say, well, you know, there are some things that have happened here that are just life altering. And how do I go, I mean, I know I'm supposed to forgive, but how do I do that? Knowing that there are some, there are, there's some scar tissue here in my life or in a loved one's life that has happened or is going to be happening as a result of some situations or scenarios or woundedness that's coming or at hand. How do, how do I forgive something that I can't heal, that I know it's not going to heal right? that always there's going to be a limp at best, and maybe destruction at worst. We can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Not even kings can do that. All the king's horses and all the king's men can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. We know that. And that's why we reserve the right to be angry. That's why we reserve the right not to forgive because we know we can't put those pieces back together again. That's the deal, God. Well, the other deal that God offers to you and me is for us to come into knowing him. The reason we can't forgive is because we know that we can't redeem and make right what has happened. But the reason you and I can forgive is because God can redeem. God is not limited by our, the reach of our hand. He is not limited. In uh, Isaiah 59, 1, you might turn there just briefly. Behold, 
The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. Let me paraphrase that a bit. The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot heal. As Betsy Ten Boone said, there is no hole so deep that God is not deeper still. So what we have to do when we're dealing with carnage in our lives or damage in our lives, um, where pieces are about our feet and we just have no idea what to do with them, uh, the best we can hope for is some form of mosaic egg. You know, put the pieces back together again, glue them back together again. Hope you can find all the pieces and hope you can make it into some sort of redemptive mosaic. But <clears throat> in future times, um, we're going to be looking at, uh, in, in here, the I am statements of Christ as our next focus on Christ as the revolutionary. And one of the statements he makes there is that he is the resurrection. And so where you and I are at in our, in our difficulties in forgiving things that are very uh, hurtful, things in which dreams have been broken and lie shattered at your feet, and you know that you can't put those dreams back together again, is what kind of God do we worship? If we really do believe that he is the resurrection, then that gives you and me the grace and the ability to put all the pieces of our lives or our loved ones' lives in his hands and let him fashion something new out of that. And it won't look like the mosaic egg we envision. Uh, it'll be a new creature. There'll be some sort of winged creature standing in the pieces of that egg when he gets through with it. But we have to believe that. <clears throat> you know, we talked last time about faith. We have to believe that. If we believe it, then <clears throat> God's ability to redeem and restore is the reason why we can forgive. And the other reason why we must forgive goes to the nature of the struggle here. We've, we are in the midst of a titanic struggle between good and evil, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And over and over and over again, he's, Christ gives parables of the kingdom of heaven is like unto. Over and over and over. 15 or 16, 17 times in the book of Matthew alone, he speaks to that. And he speaks to the enemy, the, the struggle that that kingdom has with the enemy. And so the enemy is about keeping us snared in the pain and the hopelessness that our own understanding of what we can and cannot do, what we can and cannot repair, would bring to us. But in this, if we understand that the battle 
is not between us and them, whoever the them is that's hurt us and wounded us. But the battle is between God and Satan for kingdom turf here. This earth is Satan's realm. This earth is Satan's realm. And as you accepted Christ as your Savior, he was able to plant his kingdom turf in this dark realm. And you became his kingdom of light. And so a light came on in the darkness. When each one of us accepted Christ as our Savior, we are part of the kingdom. Luke 19, Christ says, the kingdom of heaven is within us. So how does he expand his kingdom? Not just through saved souls, but through the responses of the saved souls. He expands his kingdom against this being who would take us all to hell or create hell here on earth for us. He expands his kingdom according to the responses that you and I give. If we give an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, we are increasing the kingdom of darkness. If I stay angry beyond my season, beyond its season, I am decreasing the light and increasing the darkness. So forgiveness irons out the wrinkles in the fabric of the kingdom, the wrinkles of sin. The rips and the tears that sin brings uh, into the garment of light get ironed out. Every time I forgive a wrong, that, that rip that has come in the spiritual fabric of God's kingdom gets sealed again. Every time something happens at the hands of someone who's been hurtful or mean or cruel, uncaring, it rips the fabric, the spiritual fabric of the kingdom of light. And only as his people forgive or give responses that he asks us to give. And it may be a response of, of standing our ground on something because Christ certainly did that. So it doesn't mean that we're mictoast and, and doormats. It means that as he guides us and we do what is in truth and we choose in this case, according to the theme of this lesson, to forgive, then that rip in the kingdom fabric is mended. It goes away. As I give a response that is uncharacteristic of me, but is a response guided by the Holy Spirit, a response of grace. Grace irons out the wrinkle that had just come in the fabric from somebody else's behavior. And so if I don't do it, then we've all seen what happens when there's a little tear in the fabric and you keep wearing it or you keep using it. And after a while, it's not a little tear anymore. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. We've all seen what happens when uh, the flag has a little wind weathering to it and they don't sew it up and they don't change it and it just stays out there in the wind and after a while it's a tattered flag. 
that's what happens within us. That's what happens within God's kingdom turf here is his garment gets tattered if we don't guard our responses and answer evil with good because the fight is between good and evil. And if I respond to evil with just a classier looking evil. <laughs> yes, righteous evil. <laughs> something, wrong, something wrong with that. But that's what we do. If I respond with righteously clad evil, evil wins. I mean, I may have won the argument. I may have done. I mean, I may feel pretty strong and empowered here. But if I haven't done it in the right way, then no matter who's left standing at the end of the battle, evil is left standing at the end of the battle. It may be gussied up. It may, be, it may look better. But, uh, you know, lipstick on a pig. <laughs> <laughs> It's still the same, and that is what Christ was coming at here, and that's why some of the things that he said seem so, ooh, uh, beyond human, <laughs> because he knew the stakes. He knew that we were deceived, and that we think the enemy is that person out there, when the real enemy it's a spiritual force behind the scenes that has snared those people more than he has snared us. And so Paul states that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So the bad marriage is not the enemy. It's the force behind that. The difficult relationship is not the real issue. It's the force behind that. And if we catch that, then it frees us not to be vindicated and not to feel like we have to be justified. It frees us to say, okay, we have a very cunning enemy here and I'm not going to buy into his deception. No, that person doesn't deserve to be forgiven if we're dealing with a fair God, but God never claimed to be fair. He did claim to be just and good. And so if we understand that by forgiving, it's not giving in and saying that they're right. In fact, contrary to that, it's saying they were wrong. And I'm forgiving them not for them, but because God has asked me to. He's asked me to iron out the wrinkle in the spiritual fabric of his kingdom so that his kingdom turf can remain in force and his front lines will be unbroken. Once the lines in battle are broken, you can't, it's very hard to re, regroup and, and reestablish those lines. And that's why Christ said here, unto 70 times seven, Forgive as much as you have to forgive. It's not letting them off the hook. It's just simply transferring them to God's hand. 
and trusting God to deal with them. That's really, uh, that's the bottom line of forgiveness. It's saying, Lord, I give this person to you. I can't deal with them anymore because it is, it is hiding my light. It is ripping my fabric to shreds. I give them to you. You deal with them. And, and, and that's unconditional. Uh, sometimes, you know, in the past I've found myself giving someone to God and saying, you know, you deal with them. You just deal with them. Because <laughs> you can do it a whole lot better than I. And I have no concept there in that frame of reference, in frame of mind, uh, that God might actually give them grace. <laughs> I'm ready for a just God to be just. Sort of. Uh, until it comes to me. So when you give them into God's hands, you say, I trust your judgment. I trust your judgment. If you want to discipline them, you can discipline them. I started to say I'll stand on the sidelines and applaud, but that's not <laughs> real forgiveness. <laughs> uh, if you want to give them grace, you give them grace. I trust your judgment. It depends upon what God we follow. Do we really believe that he's resurrection? And if we do, dear hearts, then because of that, we can forgive. Because we know that God can take the pieces of our dreams, the pieces of our lives or our loved ones' lives, and give those pieces to him and trust that he will, in that mix and in that those holy hands bring forth something new if we let him. Something better than would have been. See, resurrection life is better than the life that existed before the grave. It goes to what we talked about last week, the depth and the, the condition of our faith. And it challenges us to find where those those thin, uh, bare threads are in our faith fabric and come back and say, I do believe that you can do this. I do trust you. I know redemption will not look the way I want it to look. I want redemption to look pristine without scar tissue, and it will not be that way. But the scar tissue can be woven into the fabric of, of the garment of what he has in mind for us and for our loved ones. Do we believe this? Let's end in John 12. This is after Christ has been summoned by Mary and Martha. And uh, it may be 11. It is 11, I'm sorry. By Mary and Martha, their, their brother is, is gravely ill. And horror of horrors, Jesus delays in coming. And you can understand that Mary and Martha worried and fretted. Why isn't he here yet? What has happened? What is delaying him? Because Lazarus is so close to death. And the unthinkable happened. Jesus 
delayed in coming until their brother died and they were past the point of no return. All hope was lost. And the disbelief that had to be swirling about in the soul and spirit and the mind and hearts of Mary and Martha is unfathomable to us because they knew the Lord. And it was inexplicable that he would not have rushed to their side and the side of their friend who was grievously ill. And not only did he just barely not get there, he was days late until Lazarus' body was decaying in the tomb. All hope was gone. And so Jesus comes, and I think he comes in great heaviness. This is where you have the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He wept knowing he was getting ready to raise Lazarus. I think he wept because of the pain his messianic mission was causing his friends. I think he wept at the pain of Mary and Martha and all of the friends of Lazarus who were mourning and wailing in grief. And we know the story. Mary, Martha, Mary stays in her, in her, her house. Martha, when she hears that Jesus is on his way, rushes out to him. And she says unto Jesus in verse 21, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. I mean, these are high stakes. <laughs> these don't get any higher for humans. I mean, it's not, it, it, it's not like you know, he's in lots of pain and, and, and bleeding, and you've left him in pain. It, he died. I mean, we are past the point of hope. We are past the possibility of redemption here. If you'd only come, this would not have happened. Now, later, Mary is summoned by Christ, and she comes out, and she says the same thing. So this tells you that, that this is what they've been talking about. Where is he? Why didn't? How did he not get here? I mean, the stakes could not have been higher, Lord, and you didn't make it. But look what Jesus says to Martha. After she said, Lord, if you had only been here. And she said in verse 22, I know that even now, whatsoever you will ask of God, he will give it to you. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And Mary's mindset was, of course, to end time's resurrection of the dead. She was of the wing of the Jewish people that believed that. The Sadducees did not. But she did. Martha said unto him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And then Jesus says this, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were, de though he were dead, referencing Lazarus, his friend, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Martha, do you believe this? 
Do you believe I am the resurrection and the life? Do you believe? He's bringing it down to the personal. She's still out in the generic. She said unto him, Lord, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. I think she still doesn't have a clue what's getting ready to happen. I believe you are the resurrection and we will all be raised in you at the end days. But he was trying to drive home the point, whom do you believe I am? Here in this place with your brother in a four-day-old grave where all hope is lost, do you believe I am Lord of that grave? Do you believe I am resurrection here now in this hour? In this moment, not in the end times, Martha. Do you believe it now? I, right now. And of course, a few moments later, she knew what he was talking about as her brother hobbled in his grave clothes to the mouth of the cave. Notice that Christ at the mouth of the cave, when, when, when Lazarus comes to the mouth of the cave, he, um, in verse 44, he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus says, loose him and let him go. He said that to, the friends, to Lazarus' friends. Take off the grave clothes of Lazarus because Lazarus can't do that by himself. Christ didn't do the miracle of just supernaturally uh, obliterating the bindings and the grave clothes. He told Lazarus' friends to take the grave clothes off, to do what Lazarus could not do. There's something about community in this story. The tears of Christ were elicited by the community of grief. And the completion of Lazarus' resurrection was finished off by his friends coming to take the grave clothes off. Now, when Humpty Dumpty breaks and when the new creation is formed, that new creation may not yet know how to fly. It may be a little chick standing in the pieces of the egg. And Christ may be telling us as friends and family to help take the grave clothes off, to help that little bird fly, to help teach them how to be light. But the, the message here for us goes to the deeper core. Forgiveness can come and hope can come when we really do in our heart of faith believe that Jesus is resurrection and that 
no grave can keep him out. That no grave can ban resurrection life from its darkness. Martha, do you believe this? What we believe about Jesus in the midst of our pieces and in the midst of the grave clothes determines what or who comes to the mouth of the grave. It determines what kind of new life is available in those broken, dying places. Martha, do you believe? The limit of our ability to redeem is why we don't forgive. But the limitless power of God to heal and restore and bring new life is why we can forgive. And if we forgive, we lose the power of heaven in us, and we lose the power of heaven in others. And we mend the tear in the spiritual fabric of the kingdom. And evil then has been overcome by good. Let's pray. Father, your ways are not our ways. Neither your thoughts, our thoughts. They are so much higher than we that we can only glimpse them by faith. I ask that today, because everyone here in this room is traveling in their own darkened zone, struggling with grave clothes, struggling with dying places, struggling with pieces that lie shattered at their feet. I pray that you would grow our faith enough to really believe you are resurrection and life. And so invest our faith in that knowing of you, Father, that we can hand over the pieces to you and know that new life one day will emerge, that we can hand over those people in our lives that have been hurtful and damaging and wounding and know that you will deal with them, either with discipline or with grace and mercy. Help us to have the faith to trust your judgment, dear Father, as well as your power. We kneel before you now as the resurrection and the life, and we say to you, Lord God Almighty, we believe. as that you take a minute to bring the pieces of your world to him, to ask him what you need to do with those pieces and whom you might need to forgive. And if you can't yet forgive, can you say, Lord, I'm not yet willing, but I am willing to be made willing. 
Amen.